This is Fully Vested, a podcast where Jason Rowley and Graham Peck discuss technology and venture capital investing. As we continue our third season, we discuss the economics and market structure at the dawn of generative AI. In short, we aim to answer the billion-dollar question, where, precisely, does the potential for value creation lie? This show was recorded on December 30th, 2023. You can learn more at fullyvested.co. Graham. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Uh, Not bad. Can't really complain. Um... Holiday season's always exciting. Uh, this is going to be probably one of the last uh, last official nominally work-related things that I do uh, in all of 2023, which I'm pretty excited Same here. About. Nice. What, uh, uh, before we get into our topic today, what's your prediction for 2024? You, you excited? You ooh. It's going to be a crazy year? It's going to be a good year? What, what, what does your crystal ball say today? Ooh. Um... Remember how we had that bit where where we where we just started reading off the different um out, uh possible uh, uh out, outcomes from like a shaking a magic eight ball? Um yep. well, that's a little bit how uh, I feel right now, which is uh uh to pull a answer out of my uh, somewhere. Uh I I'm cautiously optimistic that 2024 is going to be uh is going to be pretty good overall so a few different factors come into play right like um not to spoil the rest of the show but we are going to be talking about generative ai and you know it's been sort of a a a toy or you know a bit of a curiosity sort of throughout uh certainly you know through the end of last year and throughout most of this year um you know hasn't really found a great you know use case fit um, apart from some like writing tasks and like writing some code and stuff like that. But I think I think 2024 is going to be a year where, you know, uh, we start to see a lot more um, AI stuff get integrated into uh, various software. And, and what I'm most excited for is seeing it um, get integrated at an operating system level. Um, as far as, cool. other, as far as other stuff I'm excited about, Graham. Um, uh, well, you know, the campaign of uh federal reserve rate hikes uh seems to at least uh seems to have slowed or seems stopped. to have slowed which is good and if i recall correctly from a little while ago uh jerome powell had indicated that uh we might actually see some interest rate uh cuts uh in 2024 which is yeah i think they were predicting as many as three yeah which is super which promising is awesome. um yep. I don't know how we've managed to engineer the soft landing that we seem to have engineered, but uh, it's good. And then, um, yeah, and, you know, so 2024 is going to be pretty great. Can't really, uh, can't can't really complain about it. Um, yeah, I always feel at the end of the year at this time, like uh, that, uh, you know, the the next year, the new year is uh, kind of just fresh with possibilities, right? And you can you can always you know, make it something great. So I'm excited about 2024 personally. What's your, uh, what's, for, what's, do you have any, uh, prognostications, uh, uh, for, for 2024? Uh, you know, uh, while, while I personally am optimistic and I think that, uh, a couple of things I'm working on in cybersecurity are, are hopefully gonna, gonna take off in a big way. You know, I think kind of more macroeconomically, 
my gut instinct is we'll see growth, but it'll probably be kind of a muted kind of growth, uh, like, you know, a few percent, um, at least in the U.S. economy. Um, I'm, I hope it's more. I hope it's more robust than that. But uh, but my gut instinct tells me because of the Fed and other things that, you know, the, the market being maybe a little top heavy that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably eke out a few more points, but nothing crazy. Obviously, mm -hmm. we also have, you know, uh, the backdrop of, you know, an interesting at best, I think, political mm -hmm. you know, election season. <laughs> so, sure, you know, anytime you've got an election year, uh, especially with what appears to be, you know, being set up for 2024, uh, you know, I think that that can monkey with an otherwise good uh, economy. So, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, the, the Fed talked about a soft landing while driving interest rates way higher than many people, uh, including the public markets, obviously thought maybe they should have been at first. Mm -hmm. And yet, mysteriously, the economy remained at least mo moderately robust through it. So, yeah. uh, you know, that that's that's great and is exactly what they claimed they wanted to do. So f fingers crossed that we just, you know, see a solid year and hopefully things become less tumultuous globally and... Uh, I don't know what the good outcome is on the political spectrum. Someone who is not the two front runners coming out uh, and being elected the next mm -hmm. president, I guess. I don't know. This is not a political show. No. I'm not meaning to make a political statement. Yeah, it's uh, personally, it's I, I'm looking wild. forward to, to the new year. I think it'll be I think it'll be a, a good time. And I hope and think companies will use AI in exactly the ways you talked about to to get kind of to our core topic. And, you know, I, I hope and think people will get back to kind of back down to business um, yeah. as 2023 has been just kind of a wonky year. Uh, yeah, no, of course. Um, well, you know, switching switching to sort of what we're nominally going to be talking about today. Uh, Graham, have you what what have what have you heard about uh, OpenAI and its uh, revenue? lately well i haven't i haven't heard too much but i think they've made some big announcements as of late so well uh, i don't think that, i don't think that they necessarily announced anything but uh uh some i guess little birdies told um somebody at the information i'm opening up the link as we speak um uh somebody's told somebody at the information that OpenAI's uh rev uh, annualized revenue has recently topped 1.6 billion dollars and this is uh reported wow. to today december 30th uh, 2023, and that um, OpenAI, uh, you know, its leadership believes that the uh, it's what is it? Is it's a company? You know, it's a whole it's a whole mess from an organizational standpoint. But yep, you know, the entity, sure. the ent I guess the uh, one of the entities that make up OpenAI will uh, generate uh, potentially as much as five billion dollars in annually recurring revenue uh, by the end of 2024, which is wow. Uh, astonishing. I can't really think of another company that has grown its revenue that rapidly. Um, yeah, especially once it gets that big. I mean, 3Xing your revenue, great. You know, I mean, that would be the kind of rule of thumb for startups that you want to see uh, triple, triple, double, double. If you can do that in as many years, then starting with any meaningful number in that first year, uh, you're going to be in a pretty good place. But to, to, 
approximately or just more than triple your revenue when you're starting at a number like 1.6 billion in a single year is uh, is pretty insane. Does that article go on to break down what uh, what makes up that revenue between um, just individual subscriptions, which I believe they're selling at you know 20 bucks a month, uh, mm -hmm. or API or company based uh, you know access? Well, Graham, I'm going to be uh, <laughs> I'm going to be very honest and say that I didn't actually read the entire article. I did read the headline though, um, so I don't know the extent to which it um, breaks down between like say ChatGPT plus subscribers and and right. uh, you know API consumption. But um, I would imagine that the uh, API side of their business is probably larger. I would guess. Yeah, you know, I, I would assume because getting to 1.6 billion, 20 bucks a month at a time, so 240 dollars a year per user, that would take quite a few users. Although I'm sure there are tons. I don't think I'm a Chat GPT subs plus subscriber today, but I have been at some times in the past, and I anticipate I will be again soon, just to play around with some of their their new newer functionality. Yeah. I've kind of bought and then turned it off a couple of times in the past when I've needed needed a little bit more, more power or a, or a newer model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see <laughs> what ends up happening on that front. Um, you know, it's been, uh, let's see, what, what has there been any reporting on like anthro Anthropics revenue? Um, as I completely uh, butcher the audio by typing on my ridiculously loud keyboard. Um, yeah, so Anthropic uh, projects that it will get it, you know, it'll generate at least $850 million in ARR um, by uh, wow. the, the end of 2024, which is um, also nothing to sneeze at. And uh, it's, you know, again, pretty impressive uh, uh, growth numbers and sort of speaks to how uh, valuable, um, you know, people are viewing this like generative AI stuff. You know, Graham, I think this is actually going to take off and become a real thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and, and I think, you know, some of your notes in, in the very beginning of the conversation are, are what's I think interesting, you know, yes, there are some really easy, good tasks that it's proven to be really good at like coding or maybe uh, generation of marketing or maybe even, I wouldn't say legal, but like quasi legal con sure. content, like a simple contract or something like that. But, but again, as I think you even said at the beginning, you know, those are kind of fun use cases. Mm -hmm. I mean, and sure that there, there's legitimate kind of business need and use for them in those, but I think it's going to continue to be really interesting as you can feed it more and more different data and different types of data to see the other ancillary, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, air quotes, real business uses for it. That's what I think I'm excited about. And obviously, if you start to look at those two companies projecting $6 billion in annual revenue, there's got to be some substantial other meaningful use cases in there, I think, No, which, is, which is exciting. Absolutely. Well, Graham, we've been beating around the bush for uh, the past couple few minutes. Today, we are going to be discussing um, two very uh, closely related topics, which is the economics of generative AI and the, you know, and then addressing the question of, you know, where does the value lie? Um, you know, is it in the picks and shovel side of the thing or is it in the... Um, What's the opposite of picks and shovels? The actual people in the, you know, hacking yeah, away the in the mines. Yeah, the actual gold mine, right. Yeah. Um, uh, the metaphor there is a little uh, little squirrely because um, it's like, well, what's the gold versus what's the whatever? But anyways, you get what I'm saying. Sure. Um, 
so Graham, we're, 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 we should probably start with, you know, a super duper high level overview of the, you know, some basic costs and, and, and stuff around uh, the AI space and how generative AI differs from discriminative AI. And, you know, just to clarify, uh, generative AI is sort of the, the image generators, the chat GPT, you know, the large language models that you type something in or provide some type of input um, and it spits out some new data uh, based on the, the data that you input. Um, and then like, you know, discriminative AI uh, is sort of the, the, sort of like the classic, you know, machine learning classification stuff, right? Like, you know, is this thing a cat? Yes or no? Uh, you know, cat, not cat, stuff like that. Um, and I think we talked a lot more about that, the difference between the two in the last episode. Yes. So if you have any questions about that and you're finding this content, we're certainly not the first people to explain the difference, but you can certainly go check out the most recent episode before this one uh, and learn more about that difference. Sure. Um, so, you know, in terms of how do you think, you know, how do we think about the, you know, the economics of this, you know, rapidly uh, emerging technology, right? Um, Graham, maybe you want to, like, in, in when you were talking about sort of like more traditional, you know, software startups, like, what is, you know, what is the sort of like structure, the cost structure of doing so, um, you know, look like? Uh, and, and, you know, we can then get into how uh, generative AI contrasts against that. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, you know, I think that there's there's a lot of things, you know, that that are interesting that have happened over the past, you know, couple of decades that are not even necessarily AI related, right? From an infrastructure perspective, a start startup would have needed to hire some sysadmins and buy a whole rack of equipment and connect it to the internet in the past, and the cloud kind of obviated the need for that, right? And made all of that a few lines of code that almost any developer could write, and 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 then dramatically reduced basically the startup, uh, you know, from an infrastructure need, you know, and I think that it's interesting to think about that and what, whether the same types of things will, will happen, uh, you know, moving forward with, with AI, can you build something much more simply or much more easily moving forward, uh, you know, with AI? I don't know that I really answered the question that you just, no, no, asked. I mean, well, well, so no, no, you, you, you did, you, you did good, Graham. So like, you know, uh, pulling out some of the things that you said, relatively little upfront costs to writing software today, right? Um, and, you know, in terms of turning that software into a business, you know, at any kind of scale, um, is much less, you know, it's much less expensive, much more accessible Much less today. cumbersome yeah, yeah, than it cause, was cause you two don't, or three decades ago. Yeah, because you don't have to go drive to like San Jose or wherever and like talk to some... Uh, sales rep from Sun Microsystems and build a whole data center that's data center run your stuff or whatever you know all that stuff's been abstracted away um, but you know basically if you want to think you know, like in accounting terminology right it it converts uh, you know capital expenditures into operating expenditures um, and so like traditional uh, software businesses are in general you know relatively low on their uh, capex CapEx. relatively high on their opex and you know they enjoy 
you know, I mean, Graham, stereotypically in the software business, like what sort of margins are we usually talking about here? When people I mean, say you, SaaS margins, what do they mean? Right. If you're saying SaaS margins, then most people would be thinking at least 70 or 80% gross margins. And certainly we've seen numbers even higher than that. So a typical SaaS model as the world has SaaSified, um, you know, would be 70, 80% plus. Yeah. So in other words, like if you... Gross margin, of if course. You, if you successfully, you know, build the thing, launch the thing, get some customers... And whatever these businesses can run fairly, you know, very efficiently, um, once sort of like in motion or or in the air, right? Um, yeah, and that's the beauty of it is, in theory, uh, you know, once one of those products is built, as long as there's not any snafus or issues around their scaling, uh, you can just turn up the infrastructure and do a ton more revenue with not that much bigger of a team, right? I mean, right. there have been <clears throat> startups sold that are doing tens or in some cases maybe hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue per you know per engineer they've got now that would be on the very high end but that's certainly possible oh yeah uh, for if sure you get something that's very scalable like a whatsapp or something like that whatsapp had 50 engineers when they sold for 23 billion dollars or something like that yeah. i'm not getting the exact no a similar right. story with like instagram and exactly. uh, lots of other you know examples of you know like this right but it seems like graham you know, in this new generative AI, uh, you know, world that we're li living in, companies that are involved in, you know, that industry on the, you know, developing the, the, the foundation models or running the foundation models or whatever, it's kind of like back to the 90s, right? In the 90s, you'd had, you know, like I said, you'd, you'd run down to San Jose, you'd talk to somebody at Sun Microsystem, you build a data center, and uh, you put up your website and uh, boom, you're a dot-com uh, startup, right? Well, yep. now it's uh, instead of going to Sun Microsystems or whatever, um, it's now a matter of going to NVIDIA or, you know, uh, or NVIDIA. <laughs> right. Or, you know, or, 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 you know, or, or NVIDIA. Uh, no, there's there's other obviously there's other um, companies out there developing, uh, you know, great silicon for, um, you know, doing AI uh but um you know it's it's sort of this it's it's just like it used to be man you know you buy a lot of hardware up front um it costs a tremendous amount of money to you know train these models because it's incredibly energy intensive um right, so you have high capex and high opex in in this in the case of generative yeah, AI. yeah and mm -hmm. it's you know so you're you're kind of being squeezed a little bit from from you know both ends there and uh and and the thing is is like unlike with um you know it's sort of a quote unquote traditional software business right the cost of running a uh again quote unquote traditional software business is you know like we said relatively low right however you know cuz again all the all the expense is like you know in investing in the developers who write the code um, and less in the, the the actual infrastructure, you know, owning the infrastructure and stuff like that. Unfortunately, running these, um, you know, big foundation models um, is also incredibly expensive. So it's not just expensive on the, you know, if you think about our two different flavors of, of AI, right? The discriminative or classification type AI and the generative AI, 
you know, in both cases, like the training costs are really are really high. Yeah, right. Because there's huge demand for, you know, uh, high quality data. So there's going to be a bunch of data operations that happen in the background from, you know, extracting it or somehow, you know, uh, requisitioning a data set to then labeling it to, you know, uh, you know, all, all that good stuff. Um, and then there's, you know, obviously the comp, you know, the cost of running the computers that, that, tra- that build the, mo- that train the model. Right. And so that's, uh, energy intensive primarily, and that's going to be the big cost there. But, you know, like I said, when it comes to running sort of like discriminative AI, the inference cost, right. The, the actual output, you know, where it says this is a cat, this is a cat or isn't a cat. Yeah. Running one of those models is really cheap and like in general, really fast. Right. Um, So in other words, they're like super duper scalable. Less so with generative AI, right? The inference costs are really high. Um, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I remember like some news story coming out saying that like it costs pennies per query for, you know, OpenAI to run chat, like uh, GPT-4 in particular. And if you multiply that by whatever they're at, by you know, the huge number hundreds of, of millions of users systems. Yeah. And maybe more on the AI or on the uh, API side, I would assume totally depending upon what's being queried, how much data is being fed in. Right. I mean, now that you can um, at least experimentally through their sandbox and stuff, you can feed it whole data sets, but it's got to analyze all that to be able to come back with the answers that it comes up with. So I think some of the queries requ- require an ever increasing amount of data to be analyzed Mm -hmm. um, and and they keep upping the limit of what you can put into it right in in most cases you could put a standard textbook link document in for it to ingest now just to to give you back its quote-unquote thoughts about it right sure or or at least you 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 know it uh give you the user the ability to ask questions of you know, of increasing length. Yes, exactly. And complexity. Yeah, no, which is, which is wild, right? You know, the fact that I can, um, upload, you know, three or four different PDFs and prompt a thing to talk about, you know, what, what is, you know, what's the, what's going on here, right? Um, is, is pretty cool, you know? And so like, so do you think that that will yeah. become more commoditized? Like, Which? will those costs that are a few cents per query? I mean, certainly that will, as, as the hardware becomes more specialized to it, I mean, and this will further drive NVIDIA's chip manufacturing company's value um, as it stands today. You know, one of the, what, only four or five companies that have ever reached over a trillion dollar market cap. Um, and looks like with no end in sight for them specifically. But as that hardware gets more specialized, um, the cost, I'm sure, will come down, right? Although that'll be battling against ever-increasing complexity of uh, prompts or queries that are being asked against it, right? Yes. And, well, I mean, so so we're starting to see little glimmers of of the commodity Improvements in the economics. Yeah. So, like... You know, you got to remember that at least up to this point in the over the last year, there's been a absolutely ruthless, you know, level of competition between companies to get allocation of, you know, GPUs to train and run these models. Right. And so, you know, it's sort of like whatever 
GPU resources you got, you were, you know, sort of using for your own purposes. But, um, you know, there's a, you know, there's this an, an increasing number of like a, AI clouds or however you want right. to, you know, put it sort of like, you know, NVIDIA's DGX cloud, um, you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, Azure and, and uh, uh, Amazon Web Services AWS, have their GCP own. Yeah. are probably all working on similar solutions. I've also heard that Oracle's trying to enter, I don't know if specifically the AI cloud kind of world, but the cloud world as a fourth major provider in a very big way. Right. And, you know, not to like draw uh, a, a comparison to, you know, a you know, the world of like cryptocurrency or whatever, you know, if you think about how Bitcoin mining evolved over time, it started on, you know, you can mine a bunch of Bitcoin on a, you know, regular laptop on your personal CPU. computer. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I got into the Bitcoin mining racket by running GPUs in my mom's basement and heating it for a winter. Um, and then, you know, over time, uh, you know, specialized, you know, application specific integrated circuits, uh, came out to that just run the hashing algorithm and the hashing algorithm alone, but really, really fast. Um, right, and can't do anything else. Correct. They're, they're literally useless for anything else. Right, and so I'm not a silicon expert, you know, uh, or semiconductors expert by by any any means. But I, you know, th there's been rumblings of, uh, you know, companies continuing to like big uh, semiconductor firms. Um, uh, working on uh, either like AI specific accelerator, um, you know, architecture in their chips. Um, but I haven't necessarily yet found like a, oh no, actually I lied. There are, um, there are like application specific integrated circuits for this, but you know, it's oh, really that are designed for AI. Yeah. So like, so for example, Interesting. yeah. So like, like, Google, and those are used in data centers or those yeah. are available in people's like personal uh, computers or devices. Uh, they're, they're not, they're not on board any device that are kind of daily carry at this point yet. Are they? Well, kind of. So like to answer your second question first about like, is this, does this exist? Uh, can I, can I get a, a, a consumer device that has some sort of like, AI accelerator, you know, component to its, um, you know, system on, a, system on a chip. Yeah. yeah. You know, the answer is yes. So like, I know that, uh, you know, a number of smartphones in the Android ecosystem uh, have, you know, either have announced, have been announced or um, have already been released that have like a neural uh, processing unit um, in their um, sure. Yeah. And like, you and know, I guess Apple's neural engine is kind of a simple kind of, but it's, but those aren't that. like application specific integrated circuits, right. at least to my ASICs, knowledge. Yeah. But um, to get back to the question of, you know, these things exist, but where the answer is, the answer is data centers. And probably the uh, most visible uh, example of this would be like Google um, and their work developing the uh, tensor processing unit which is yep. basically built to run TensorFlow operations incredibly quickly. Um, I recall reading something about the, uh, you know, the, the Gemini model that Google has recently started uh, rolling out, um, that, the, uh, that that model was entirely trained uh, on TPUs, and that I think all, all the inferences run on TPUs as well, but I don't, I don't have... Uh, I don't know for for 100% sure there. But yeah, like the like you know, Apple like ASICs for AI 
are already in the wild. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out who, who sets the standard, right? Google, yeah. Google owns the chip architecture for TPUs, right? And they have a great motivation to keep improving that because they have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of their own data and, you know, they want to be in the, in this business, but they want to be in the game as well. Yeah. Is pick some AI, you know, AI startup, uh, you know, going to come up with its own uh, specific algorithm and then work on building out and then build on for the chip that, that makes that super efficient. Right. Uh, probably less so. I know that there are companies, you know, in this space that might have like little experimental divisions, right? They might have a researcher or two, you know, figuring out like working on that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that for now, anything in the like, you know, application specific area is going to be the it's going to be at one of the at one yeah. of the bigs yeah it's going to yeah. be one of the provident it's going to be in like the the under under the umbrella of like all these hyperscalers right um so it, it, there's there's obviously going to be a lot of uh stuff that comes out in that um in the in the field later other examples include like you probably heard this is one of the things that was mentioned during the fracas over uh sam altman at, at OpenAI, right like you know, the in the week before he was fired, he allegedly, um, you know, spent time talking to, uh, you know, big pocketed folks about, you know, building AI chips. And I forget whether it was, you know, under the auspices of a new company or whether it was going to be under the uh, um, the aegis of open AI. But, uh, you know, there there's a ton of interest in developing chips that do this stuff much more efficiently um, than regular old GPUs, no matter how powerful GPU architecture is today. Interesting. I didn't know that they were thinking about taking it onto a different type of chip than than GPUs. Although that certainly makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 a uh, obviously it's going to be a a tremendous area of of interest and in, in ongoing development. Um, you know. As you know, well, sorry, go I on. guess one of the one of the side things that I think about, right? I mean, people have given the Bitcoin mining industry holistically, you know, a hard time about the energy usage mm -hmm. that, that the energy consumption that that Bitcoin mining causes um, or, or uses. Um, I, I wonder, you know, what the long term view on AI will be. Uh, you know, again, there will obviously be. Uh, grouped or batched providers once chips are more re readily available and people have capacity beyond what they need to use it for themselves as you point out there there already are and there i think will be a, a proliferation of cloud providers where very much like the SaaS computing world does you can go to some number of big companies which are probably the same types of big companies who are who are in the cloud architecture cloud computing world um and, and just buy that. But I wonder what the long-term... Um, like what the public perception is going to be? Yeah, and as we talk about the economics of it, I mean, I think, you know, yes, definitely high CapEx, high OpEx. And again, somebody else can absorb... Somebody else can absorb the the CapEx once we get to the point where there's proliferation of those larger, larger shared resource providers, which is already happening, as you point out. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what the I, I wonder where this will land eventually on, I guess, the environmental and public perception, you know, piece. Yeah. So so there's because it, it's so good for the economy and for business 
in so many ways, but it's almost equally bad for the environment. So this is this is a very sticky wicket, um, you know, but like here's here's sort of the lay of the land so far is that there is some, you know, some uh, some amount of attention is being paid to you know, the environmental impact of generative AI, right? There, like, for example, uh, I know that Facebook, uh, well, Meta, forgive me, um, they're, uh, you know, one of their AI research teams is um, focused on measuring, or at least they, they worked on a project uh, around how do you measure the carbon cost of uh, running these models. And, and um, there's really great documentation in, like, the Llama and Llama 2 papers about, um the carbon output of, you know, training the models and obviously running inference for the models is going to be a, um, that's where the real cost is going to be, both in terms of like, you know, ongoing uptime for the, you know, for, for these models as well as, uh, and by proxy sort of like where the, uh, where all the energy is going to go is most of it's going to be spent in, in uh, on inference rather than training. But anyways, with the with respect to you know the comparison to Bitcoin and stuff like that, you know I don't know what the most recent um, statistics are about like the energy consumption of the Bitcoin mining network. I think it uh, I don't know, what is it something like you know the uh, energy uh, energy consumption of like Argentina or, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was like a small to mid-sized country sure. these days. You know, last I saw, and I'm sure that's gone back up in a lot of ways as the price of Bitcoin has gone up, right? Because older or previously less efficient miners are probably turned back on that had been shelved. Now that prices have gone up, now yeah, the prices have gone up, right? But and I say this like with, uh, you know, th- thank God uh, we don't share our email addresses uh, here because we otherwise get a bunch of uh, ang- angry, angry letters from uh, the uh, bit- from the environmentalists. No, from the Bitcoin, oh, for, from, from, the, the Bitcoin from the Bitcoin miners. People. Yeah, uh, uh, because like, and I say this with all due respect, like, uh, Bitcoin is a hideously inefficient system from a like environmental standpoint relative to the value that actually gets created. You know, yes, you can move money securely, semi-anonymously, basically instantly, blah blah blah. All the all the things that people um, talk about, you know, ex- extol the virtues of Bitcoin. Is is that really worth running uh, an Argentina size level of you know electricity to uh, to accomplish? I don't think so, personally. Um, yeah, same. I mean, side note, it raises the question of like, what's the energy consumption of running like the Visa network or Mastercard or something like that? But you know, we'll never probably never get those numbers. Um, Although I'd be shocked if somebody hasn't done a study. That that's totally aside from today's. Oh topic. man, we're but gonna have to go in, down. We'll go, that, we'll... that, that, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting rabbit hole to go down. Sure. Like, how does Bitcoin network compare to a major credit card brand? Sure. And what's the economic, uh, I guess, benefit argument on either side? Sure. Because it wouldn't be surprising if the Visa network worldwide used the same amount of power as Argentina either, right? Yeah. I, but again, I anyways, I have no idea what that I don't is. know. That's yeah. just a guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, but like this generative AI stuff, you know, even though, uh, you know, we sort of opened the episode by saying that at least to this point, it's mostly been a bit of a toy. Right. It's like, ooh, I can right. make I can make a, a, a chihuahua, you know, uh, with a unicorn. It looks like m- moose antlers. Yeah, sure. Exactly. exactly. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I saw an interesting uh, collage of 
someone had taken moose antlers and put them on other animals. You oh, know? And so incredible. like a dog with moose antlers and here's a whale with moose antlers and here, you know, but they sure. had done it like it, it was, it was specifically like AI generated moose antlers added to other non moose animals. No, for sure. Cool. Yeah. And like, um, and that's fun, but that's absolutely a toy. Oh, ab- yeah, for sure. But like, man, when I was at when I was at you know my last job at Deepgram, um, I commissioned a story from uh, one of our writers on the carbon cost of AI, right? And you know, we had this conversation about well, leaving aside the economically productive use cases for this stuff, right? You know, the fact right. that I could c- cut down certain parts of you know a workflow that would take a human, you know, potentially the better part of a day to accomplish, right? So for example, doing background research into a topic and writing a project brief for a writer to be like, here's a suggested outline about, you know, if we want to write about thus and such topic, uh, I can get generative AI to do that lickety split and, you know, leave it up to me to fill in some of the blanks and shave down some of the rough edges and stuff like that. Um, But leaving that aside, even if it was just an entertainment, compare that to, you know, what is the, the the carbon cost of like Disney World, right? Of people sure. flying from all over the world. From all over the world. Right. To the five or six different Disney properties. Sure. Yep. Yeah. You know, and so like, so to me, the, the oh my God, it's just um, a toy bit doesn't really line up. Um, at least for me personally, my opinion, um, with respect to the environmental concerns. Um, but then Graham, because the business case outweighs it or the the eventual business case, even though it's just being used mostly for play today, yeah, that's what you believe. Cause there is the, cause there is this promise, right. Of, of, and again, I, I use promise in, in a loose way, but like there's this, the whole idea of this is that. Um, we're going to be able to offload certain parts of, you know, workflows to, um, to an AI and that will, you know, in other words, like this has the opportunity in for the first time in like decades to be a massive force for, you know, growing human productivity. Yeah. With yeah. The, the biggest step since what, probably a word processor or Excel or yeah what, what, what would you argue was was the last uh stepped function of a similar I don't, size i mean there's been a whole bunch of like breathless dorks on like um the site formerly known as twitter <laughs> saying like you know oh this is like this is akin to electricity or whatever but but um you know i heard a great interview between um the verges editor-in-chief neelai patel and uh former president barack obama um, mm-hmm. where they discussed uh, AI and policy stuff and whatever. And even even Obama was just like, oh, I was talking to a bunch of these people and, you know, they're making a, co- a comparison between, uh, you know, this generative AI stuff and electricity or steam power or something like that. Sure. And, and so who am I to judge whether or not it's going to be, you know, as transformative as like effing electricity? <laughs> um, but... It's potentially in that, you know, in that ballpark. I don't think that it's going to be the incremental difference between, say, uh, hand tabulating stuff on literal spreadsheets, right? Big pieces of paper spread out right. on a desk versus, you know, Excel, at least in at least in theory. 
the marketing <laughs> the marketing people would lead you to believe that that this is the real deal and and will actually materially change the world. So switching gears a little bit and talking about so we talked about the economic costs of it in sure. pretty great detail, OPEX, CAPEX, uh, you know, different silicon, all of that stuff, which is all I think super important. Let's talk more about kind of the the where the benefit is. So it's once like where the value is. Yeah, as it becomes more than a toy, um, how does this benefit the economy, right? We started the show by talking about two luminary companies that by the end of next year will have a combined nearly $6 billion in revenue. Mm -hmm. And that's that's great for them. Um, but, you know, in everyday life, how does this uh, how does this economically improve a small business? How does this change people's jobs and lives? Sure. How is economic value derived from this? Um, yeah. You know, as you see it moving forward over the next, you know, 24 or 36 months. Maybe. Oh, my God. Well, that's a big that's, I mean, a, big, that's a huge, huge question. question like but, a, it's totally a drink the ocean kind of question. But let's but. let's start with, you know, sort of like what current trends are are pointing to. Right. So yep. there's been a number of studies by, you know, by the, like the, the McKinsey's and the Goldman Sachs's of the world around, you know, what's the potential economic impact of this stuff. And and the the number is, I think, in the trillions. I forget what the, um, you know, what some of the Goldman Sachs stuff was. But anyways, it, they've done, you know, there's been some research into, you know, how does this affect work, right? And one of the things that I found most interesting is that it's really good at like, it's, it's good for leveling the playing field, right? You can give somebody who might not necessarily be a skilled writer or a skilled, you know, communicator, the, you know, ability to say, you know, I want to write an email to my potential business partner, uh, you know, describing, a, you know, expressing my desire to meet up for lunch and discuss the you know the possibility of our two businesses working together or whatever you know somebody who's not sure. good at writing those emails can talk to a, a large language model and say this is the email that, this is the message that I want to convey right how do I yep. turn this into a businessy you know professional yeah, into something that will right. drive economic value for my company right or our companies if it's a partnership right or you know somebody who's um, say, relatively new to the world of, you know, writing code um, professionally, use, using a language model um, or, you know, one of these like co for code generation, you know, sure. helps them sort of, it, 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 it removes the sort of like uh, gap between say like the most junior person on the team and, you know, say your average person on the team. Right. It brings. Yeah. Hopefully lets that let the lets that junior person level up more or more quickly. Right. But this comes with the the uh, you know, the opposite problem is potentially that um, as <coughs> businesses figure out ways to automate more and more of their processes or, you know, otherwise um, remove the need for uh, uh, human labor um, across every single step of the, you know, of, of being productive, there might, you know, there's, there's an equal, op uh, equal chance that the types of like entry level type professional, yeah, like menial tasks, you know, including goes software away. development yeah. will go away. Yeah. Or, or like yeah, giving I, your marketing I, intern uh, a spreadsheet of your, you know, your Google ad performance and, you know, say like, 
uh, hey, where did we spend all the money and, and, you know... What was the ROI on that? Right, yeah. exactly. Which again, That bring... won't be a thing anymore. You'll just drop that same spreadsheet in GPT and say, which which words should we buy more and which words should we buy less? And right. we'll come back with the answer. There's give and take here, right? But no matter what, yeah. if you think about the, you know, well, where does the economic benefit come from? It's in augmenting human labor or, or you know, replacing human labor, which I know is a very touchy subject. Why hire five people when one person can, you know, Run or five two people bots that do yes. you know, the same amount of output? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. And, you know, I think my question inherently had maybe some optimism baked into it and was an assumption of what's the good. And you talked about that some, you know, I definitely think that there's going to be job elimination but and again, maybe this is just my my uh, overall overall being an optimistic person, mm -hmm. um, maybe overly so at times. But there have been constant trends since since maybe the original uh, you know um, industrial revolution, or probably before that even, where things have eliminated some jobs. Right? I mm -hmm. mean. Uh, as automobiles were manufactured, there was much less need for buggies, right? And buggy whips, right? Yeah. No, no, no. You could build the best buggy whip, but it doesn't matter. No one's making them anymore. Or, or using um, that same same situation, the the people who shoveled <clears throat> horse poop, you know. <laughs> that's right. You know what happened to the poop shovelers, right? They right. They well, went and they into had to other go things. get a job doing something else, right? And, you know, uh, it was obviously predicted when Microsoft Word came out that the vast majority of people would just start writing their own things and, uh, you know, secretaries or what we would probably now call administrative assistants, but what were primarily known then as secretaries are, you know, m many fewer of them exist, right? Because sure. a lot of executives will just say, well, bef in the same amount of time I could dictate this, I could just type the dang thing out myself, so I'll just do it. So that eliminated jobs, but those people probably found other opportunities. I tend to think while while there are transformative technologies uh, that are afoot today, mm -hmm. like self-driving cars, like uh, AI, I think things like that stand to displace more people's jobs than ever have been displaced in the past. I hope our economy and what generates value in our economy shift, shifts because it always is as well uh, and finds new, uh, I hope our educational system, you know, learns new or t trains those, the folks come growing up mm -hmm. in new ways um, to be prepared for careers of tomorrow that don't even exist today. That's what I tend tall to order. think will happen. It, it is. It is. It's a tall order on the job side. It's a tall order on the education side. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, training someone to build an internal combustion engine or a turbine engine, as you know, has been my family's business for you know almost eight eight decades now. Um, that was never conceived of when you were driving a horse and a buggy. And now right. we rely heavily on, you know, a global transportation network that's based on boats and airplanes, and they're both powered by internal combustion engines and turbines. Right. So, so I don't know. I mean, sure. But, but 
imagine trying to train someone on how to build a modern internal combustion engine if you had never even seen a car that would seem like an equally tall order <laughs> right you know? so i guess my 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 overall message and this isn't like brass tacks sure. my overall message is that i hope and i believe genuinely as ai uh increases productivity and a piece of that increased productivity is reduced need for certain jobs or labor to be done, we find higher and better use of the skill of the excess labor force that's available. The reduced labor availability coming out of COVID and general, uh, again, without trying to make a political statement here, and the general kind of tenor of our country and maybe world today makes me a little bit dubious whether that will occur or not but that is graham's personal hope sure on that well on that note i try to keep a relatively balanced view on like new and emerging technologies right so like i i, I get yes. like generative ai is like again I, I said to this last episode it's the coolest it's the coolest thing that i've gotten to play with in like 10 or 15 years it's crazy absolutely Awesome. But, you know, there, there's the, the, there's the downside. But, um, you know, the, the one thing that I or there's the potential downsides, but where I sort of overlap more with the not quite like a Mark Andreessen level of like fervor around being a techno optimist or whatever, because I read his essay and I think it's, you know, a little shouty in certain parts, but whatever. You know, the one th the one thing that I really do believe is that in a in a resource constrained system which is you know the global economy right i don't yep. think there's going to be a new there's not a lot of new new real estate being made right there's not you know certainly not not more uh, uh no more coal being made um stuff like that right. right so in a in a resource constrained system um the only way to like grow the pie for everybody is to increase productivity in general right and that's like the the lever that technology has right is is it is there to increase at its best right technology increases human productivity right yes. we go from uh hand digging trenches and planting beans or whatever to uh to modern mechanized farming yeah to 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 dragging a plow behind an ox to you know skip a bunch of steps and you have these 64 gig row planters <laughs> yes. these gigantic gigantic um you know, machines that that do the labor that one machine does the labor of probably hundreds of people, right? Um, at least at 64. Least. Sure, um, and much faster than than of course, yeah. Um, and so, the extent to which this 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 new wave of AI stuff makes people makes individuals more productive, um, right? Which which might come at the expense of some people, like losing their jobs or like not, yep. you know, a company that needed to have 10 people performing X task can now have four people performing X task and, you know, still do more than the 10, you know, the, uh, the 10 people, right? That's a reality. But, um, but yeah, like it I is. said, if you, if everybody is able to do more uh, or, you know, if anybody's able to do more on balance, everybody does a little bit better. There yeah, is going I to be there it, with, with, which again, there are going to be people who are disenfranchised. And it's really important that, you know, those folks are taken, you know, are, are taken care of so that they're not left, you know, completely left behind. And, you know, what that ends up looking like, um, 
I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, that's a big problem that I think is going to have to be dealt with in the future. And that has all kinds of uh, political uh, and socioeconomic uh, ramifications, I think. Yeah, like what do you, what do you, you know, what, what happens if, you know, uh, artificial general intelligence, you know, really does come about and we have AIs that are as performant or more so than humans to the point where, you know, maybe there's not much for actual humans to do. You know, what, do you, what are you going to do? You're going to have everybody be unemployed? No, I, <laughs> right? Like, or, or sorry, you know, maybe everybody is unemployed, but then you have to figure out, well, how do they make an income and feed themselves and, you know, put a roof over their heads and stuff like that? I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe you just tax the robots and, uh, you know, we all get to live in luxurious techno-communism and all the rest. It'd be great. Um, <laughs> well, there's tons of dystopian future movies about that. Sure. Anyways, I think that's where you know the the general upside is 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 in increasing productivity and and all the rest in specific ways. You know how that works down the road. I couldn't tell you because AI is moving in just ridiculously fast. fast. But um, I do kind of stand by. You know, there's that trope of you know. AI is not going to take your job, but a human that uses AI probably will. Um, yep. That's sort of where... Yeah, I... and the example you used earlier where one person could be as productive as five. Right. So you hire one person, empower them with the right set of tools, and they do the output of five people today. Sure. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, one, like just think of... There's real-world examples of this, right? And I, I know I'm stealing this from somebody, but one can imagine, like, the, the field of, like, customer support or, like, call centers or whatever sure. right like you know there's going to be a set of like routine requests that people get right and if you have a real human agent you know sort of supervising the work of five or ten different ai agents and seeing like where they're succeeding or failing and the the human can jump into a conversation as needed like you're you're in a situation where again like one person is doing the work of you know many more and in a way that's like more parallelized and potentially even like more intellectually stimulating than answering the same basic sets of questions all the time as an individual. So the question I think Graham is, it's a big question, which is like, you know, where does the value in, in all this stuff lie? And I wonder if you wanted to take a stab at that and then I can, I can follow up. Sure. The first answer is what you just said about answering something else. In my opinion, it's moving so fast that I think that that's a constantly moving target. Um, you know, I think that the answer to that we'll know in another few years, but even then I bet it will be continually changing. I mean, I think if you're thinking of the perspective of just a small business operator, you kind of touched on this earlier, it's productivity gains, right? It's having that one customer support manager do the work of their whole team of a dozen people, just like the planter that plants at least as fast as 64 humans previously could have probably faster, as you pointed out. Um, I think that it's productivity gains for, for small businesses today. Um, I think as the technology itself continues to evolve, and by evolve here, I specifically mean improve, I think the use cases for it uh, will continue to, to grow and change in ways that we can't even imagine today. One of the things that I, that we don't use it for today, but that I anticipate starting an early trial of for two or three of the projects or companies that I'm involved with in early 2024 
is seeing how AI can do some, I mean, can already generate content, but see how it can do some uh, basic sales prospecting. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are a lot of companies that have product or service offerings or combined product service offerings that use AI to generate um, information about who to go after as potential clients, partners, uh, things like that. And um, we have a couple of new products, one in the cybersecurity world and two in the fintech space, um, as well as a couple of um, legacy products. And by legacy, I don't necessarily mean that they're old, just that they are already in market, that we're going to run trials to increase or launch, in a couple of their cases, their marketing presence, um, relying heavily on basically AI to generate a lot of our sales work uh, and find partners for us. So, you know, th that's, I think, maybe that's a personal answer of how the companies I'm involved with, the projects I'm involved with, plan to use it, um, you know, in, in the Im immediate or imminent future uh, moving forward. But yeah, I mean, I think generally productivity gains uh, across the board in ways that, again, currently many of those ways we may not even know or think of yet mm -hmm. is, is, is the boon to, um, to small to mid-sized business, um, all, all the way up to enterprise companies as well, of course. But, sure. um, and I think it, uh, the solutions out there will continue to evolve and become more powerful and be able to take on more and more complex tasks as, mm -hmm. uh, as we move forward, of course. So. Right. I don't know if that was really a good answer to your question, but well, that's, I guess, no, it was a good, that, it that's, was, kind of, that's kind of where my head is. So I mean, I, maybe that's, maybe that's a personal answer of how I anticipate AI will, will impact my, my company or companies uh, in, in 2024 is we're going to try to uh, leverage it heavily in the areas of sales, marketing and partnerships right now. Oh, for sure. So, so first off, great answer. I was coming at this from more of like a macro, like, um, sort of like market structure, you know, standpoint, right? So like, you know, as with like any new or emerging technology, there's, you know, sort of like three buckets of, of players, uh, probably more buckets, but you know, like there's folks who are sort of doing the building, right? You know, doing the equivalent of like bench science. Um, this would be the, you know, the equivalent of the folks who are developing their own uh, foundation models, right? Um, these, these big generalized models like, you know, chat GPT or, you know, a speech recognition model or stuff like that. And then there's like the folks who are sort of like packaging or implementing this new and, and emerging technology um, into like specialized applications. And so one can sort of analogize there that a somewhat derogatory, you know, or dismissive phrase is like, oh, are you a, are you building real AI or are you just a rapper? Right? Sure. Sure. Um, but hey, look, you know, companies building wrappers like they succeeded in raising some money and surely some of them are going to be successful absolutely because like at the end of the day to go back to a, another metaphor that we use like so much of like saas soft like you know enterprise saas stuff um is a like user interface abstraction of like what could have already been accomplished with like excel oh absolutely. in many ways um but like the yeah. fact that it's packaged in in a different way and um, you know, has a different interface and a different workflow and, and you know, process for getting stuff done um, that makes it more, you know, accessible to folks. And I think there is some value there. I don't want to be completely dismissive of the 
the you know you're just a rapper type companies um sure uh and then there's the folks you know who are in the picks and shovels business right those who are you know providing infrastructure to the sort of builders and packagers. Um, I have my own opinion of like where where the value sort of redounds. My take is that at the end of the day, it's it's great to be a company like NVIDIA or great to be a company like AMD um, yep. or great to be uh, Amazon running, you know, AWS or, or whatever. Pick your, I, I think infrastructure providers and that's on, you know, software, that's on hardware, um, which again, hardware, infra, whatever. Um, I lump all that together. I think that is clearly a great business to be in today. Then there's like the foundation model builders, right? You know, the OpenAIs, the Anthropics, the uh, my former employer, uh, DeepGram, those types of companies. And then on the third level, the the bottom of the trickle down pyramid here is the sort of is the implementers, right? Yeah. At least that's sort of my take. And I don't know if you have any. No, I definitely agree. I definitely subscribe to that model. I answered the question kind of in a different way. No, which for is sure. Kind of the, the the direct economic impact to to I guess the small businesses that I'm working with. But no, I I definitely agree that with that type of categorization of the of the marketplace. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that landscape continues to develop um as the big companies, both the hardware providers and the, you know, in, people who host infrastructure. Um, it will be interesting to see what the end implementations become um, and whether that wrapper model um, becomes taken seriously in this space and where the line is, I think, between the big language model providers versus, you know, the the end implementers of that technology. I think that line in this world is more gray than the line between, oh, well, I could run a Google sheet or I could use this specialized solution that is kind of like a wrapper on a Google sheet. Mm -hmm. I think that the line, at least for the moment, is more blurry between those. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, so many ecosystems exist that way. And I think that there will be winners in all of those spaces. Um, you know, and then I think there will be a universe of, you know, because a lot of the work we do prior to the launch of the products I mentioned earlier is in the service base. There will be a lot of ancillary services around probably almost, if not all, layers of that, but especially the implementation layer right. of that, right? There will be a service ecosystem around that, which is personally exciting to me as a service services-based uh, consultancy as, as my primary business today. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how that landscape continues to to grow and evolve and where the line between the infrastructure and the implementation is, where that line lands uh, in what is and isn't an acceptable or defensible use uh, of being a wrapper um, will, will be interesting to see, right? Because even some really big companies, like, you know, you look at GitHub's Copilot, mm -hmm. that's really just a wrapper on ChatGPT by th at least four. They may be using other models for some uh, some. Yeah, a, a flavor that's more, that's fine-tuned on code generation. But yeah, like, right. yes, now, I Now, obviously, point. GitHub has other products in market, and that's, I think, not their primary one, although I would be shocked if it's not one of, if not their highest growth product today. And, and it's generating huge benefit and value for them and their clients, the end users of it, including our company. 
No, totally. So. Like it's, you know, to to use that specific example and, you know, again, I'm speaking slightly in hypotheticals here because I I don't know the strategy of the other company that I'm going to, you know, mention, but it's sort of like if you're a, you know, if you're a CTO of a company and you build all your software um, with Git as your version uh, control uh, system, you know, and you're faced with the question of, well, do I use GitHub or do I use GitLab or some other, you know, alternative provider? Uh, you know, the AI capabilities of the GitHub Copilot, which I think has a new name now, that that is a selling point. It's a differentiator for sure. So yeah, I, again, it, it's there's going to be there's a lot that has to get you know sussed out and there's no doubt that 2024 is going to be certainly interesting and perhaps even more interesting than 2023 was but i guess i wanted to leave on this is not in our our show notes um graham but like circling back to the the question of like what is the what is like what do people end up doing as more stuff gets potentially can be you know done by these uh, ai tools the thing that i hope for at least is that people are freed to do more creative work because at least at the moment, like these things, the models, even like GPT-4, you know, which is current, you know, at, at time of recording the sort of like the state of the art, right? Like they're yeah. good at recombining stuff or like remixing stuff. And sometimes in like weird ways, right? You know, you can say, write me a Shakespearean sonnet about like semiconductor design and you'll get something. Um, yeah. But are these models necessarily going to discover the next core technology for for, you know, getting another process shrink from like three nanometers down to like two nanometers or one nanometer or smaller? No, I don't know. Uh, using the chip design thing. There is some interesting possibilities in the drug development and drug discovery area where you can just yep. generate a bunch computationally model a bunch of like new molecules, molecules yeah. and then determine what their likely impact on uh cancer molecule or you know tumors yeah. or yeah. other types of d disease states are um i've also seen that there uh, there is a company forget the name of it but um they were looking at making uh digital make digital twins of people to okay. be the placebo group Ooh. and they they could determine what the impact of a sugar pill instead of the drug so rather than having a double blind study of humans in the future you'll have the people who sign up for the trial drug and then you'll have their digital twins living inside a computer and the computer gives them the placebo and determines what the outcome would have been. Hmm. Um, and I think medical studies will primarily work that way in the future is what at least uh, a possible outcome sure. I've heard, right? Which is a very interesting use case. Yeah. So, so I think in that case, it'll be instrumental for these technologies to help us as people develop, um, you know, the next things. But I agree more in medicine than probably manufacturing and some other things not that they not that they won't be helpful i've heard of people who need to produce things running like efficiency studies by doing exactly that mm -hmm. build a digital twin of your facility and then you can run a scenario analysis almost like a like you might do a monte carlo analysis mm -hmm. in um excel where you say what's the best possible outcome you, you could do that and say oh, okay with with the constraints we've got with the physical facility with the machines or equipment and their capabilities and with the human 
um, population we've got, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to, to model my family's manufacturing business digitally and then say, what's the best, what's the most efficient way with the constraints we've got to produce what we need to, right? And AI could probably answer that better than uh, our management production team is sure. today. Sure. Even though they're very good at it and been doing it for almost 80 years. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so like uh, similarly, so my dad is a professor of geology and he does a lot of, you know, research uh, sort of by definition as an academic, he's doing research sort of like at the edge of what is known about the world or whatever. And, you know, I I asked him, I was like, hey, hey dad, have you ever played around with one of these things uh, like a large language model, you know, for anything? And he's like, uh, wh why? It's not going to tell me anything that I don't already know. And it's not going to help me, uh, it's not going to help, like, for, like, specifically about geology. And it's not going to help me discover anything new, necessarily, because it's, that's not how it works at the moment. You know, so at least for people who are involved in research or, you know, creative professions, um, and creativity is, like, broadly, you know, broadly defined, right? It's not just, like, graphic designers and writers and stuff like that. It's, like, Anybody who is assembling something new from a bunch, you know, like, or identifying something new from a bunch of, like, constituent parts. I think that those people are still safe. But, like, your marketing intern who you're like, where do we, which keyword do we spend more money on versus less? Or, you know, your, your marketing copywriter. I don't know why I'm picking on marketing people. But, you know, your, your marketing copywriter, uh, instead of, like, Spent having them spend a full day writing a bunch of, you know, blurbs for, you know, Google descriptions or whatever, like just have an AI model spend a minute, you know, generating right, a bunch a of different iterations and then put them, put them have somebody, yeah, have somebody edit them just to make sure they still make sense. Right. So I, I agree with you that, that I hope we can, and again, maybe this is one of my optimistic statements. I hope that we can redeploy the excess uh, human capacity into creative, and I would go so far as to add in entrepreneurial endeavors, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, cloud computing, as we talked about earlier in the episode, already makes it so much easier for almost anyone to to launch an application, uh, you know, in a much shorter period of time. So I think AI layered on top of cloud computing uh, could make it easy for someone without even technical skill, uh, maybe not tomorrow, but over a pretty short period of time will be good enough that you could have a non-software developer launching a technical coded product using primarily AI and much less involvement, if not no involvement of software developers. Well, I say I, that as someone who's a partner in a custom software development. No, business. and 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 I say that as somebody who, you know, I've been working on a little, you know, data project for, you know, off and on for a while. And, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a, a data engineer in the sense of like, you know, I've set up like a SQL database to run my WordPress installation or whatever, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not a like skilled database administrator or whatever. My, my, my SQL skills are okay, but they're not spectacular, but it's been really fun to be able to like put snippets of the data that I've been playing around with into something like the um, data interpreter on, on chat GPT and say like, what, what is, 
how do I connect these two things? You know, or what is, or, or does a connect, does a connection appear to exist? Using, using these tools for, to augment that sort of like the, to automate the boring parts, right? Or to, to help me do, do stuff that I otherwise couldn't is, is I think the, uh, that's the real promise here, but it'll also probably take a bunch of like, unfortunately, low level white collar work. Um, it'll probably automate a lot of that. Yeah. 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 Well, not to get there. It will eliminate. Right. Yeah. Which, uh, which sucks. But again, you know, all those poop shovelers, uh, in, in major American cities did something else after the advent of the uh, automobile. So I have no doubt that at some, that, that somehow, some way folks who are displaced or otherwise affected will hopefully come out on the other side a little bit better, you know, better off than, uh, than they would have if this stuff didn't come around, you know. But it's hard to do a, a, a counterfactual that way. I think that might be a show. I think that might be a show. Okay, I'm going to hit stop.